1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Malachi 3, 6 through 12 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, he's talking about the patriarchs a thousand years earlier, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. I can
1: see the promised land Though there's pain
0: within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains will move. every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, nothing is impossible.
1: Hello, and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so glad that you've chosen to spend this time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, Pastor Keith continues with his new teaching series entitled Impact. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Making an impact, you know, as we, as we play offense for the Kingdom of God here in San Jose, as we try to change this world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ, we have this topical series, which is rare here because we normally go verse by verse through a book of the Bible, but this is a topical series and it's, it's entitled Impact. and We've been talking about how you use your time. Because your time is not your own. It belongs to God. And God has raised you up for such a time as this. And how you invest your time in the local church and in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And then we've talked about your talent. God has given you talents and abilities. And they're not your own. They're on loan from God to use for him and his glory. To advance the kingdom of God. In and through, of course, the local church. And today we turn our attention to treasure Uh, Giving, or some people call it generosity, Uh, pastors sooner or later find themselves in the uncomfortable position of teaching on giving. Some rename it generosity, but that is a misnomer. That's uh, misleading, and I'll explain the reason for that later. Uh, People really don't understand giving most of the time, particularly church people. people. And often pastors assume that they do. And that is a mistaken view. I read an article where a pastor with the, with the view that he would not teach on giving, he, he, he wrote this article, great article in Christianity Today. I read the reprint. And um, he was challenged by an older pastor to say, uh, why don't you teach on giving? And he's like, well, I don't want to ask the people for money. I, I know how people always are offended and this, that, and the other. And, you know, I really think spiritually God will make them do the right thing. And the older pastor said to him, you teach your people to pray, don't you? And he said, well, yeah. He goes, you teach them how to read and apply the Bible, right? How to, how to study scripture? He goes, well, I do. And you have discipleship, right? And counseling and things like that. And you help people with their marriages and with the struggles of life. He goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, and don't you do like when young couples want to get married, like premarital counseling? Or don't you provide financial counseling at your church? He goes, we do. He goes, then why on earth would you not teach them how to give? You may remember this series that we did a while back called Rethinking Church. I think it was about a year ago where we went back through and and helped you to understand the church because most Christians don't understand what the church is or why the church is or what the church is for. And therefore, in a similar manner today, we're going to talk about giving because most Christians don't understand giving or finances. Now, for greater teaching on finances, I encourage you, I don't care what your income level is or what your education level is, to sign up for Financial Peace University with Gary Johnson the next time that comes around. But today, I'm going to unabashedly talk to you about your giving. Uh, I'm probably going to offend a few people or shock some people and things like that, but that's just the way these things go sometimes. I don't enjoy that kind of thing, but it is what it is. Some people call it generosity, but that implies that we're being generous with God. And we only have what he's given us, right? So we're not like, hey, God, here, you know, take this nickel and dime and be glad you got it. That's... That's not the way it works. We only give back to him a small portion of what he has bestowed so richly upon us. Others call it charitable giving. And of the two terms, that's probably the better term, although and charity usually speaks to love, so you're giving back to God in love what he's given you. But the word charity, even today, is misunderstood in this world in which we live. I recently read an article about charitable giving in America, and Here's where the money goes. So we have a slide for this on charitable giving. I hope it comes through. Yeah, it comes through fairly good. Yep. It's an interesting thing uh, how it all plays out with education and human services and health and things like this. And religion, 39% of the people in the country, more or less, or 39% of the money given is given toward religion. It's fascinating, though. Uh, religion is the most underfunded of all of these things, and why is that? Well, let's stop and think about it. When you give to the arts and you go to the symphony, they charge a cover charge, right? You pay for tickets. Uh, human services in your in your area receives grants and tax money and things like that. Uh, museums usually have fees. Often, if they have a special exhibit, and so. They have what people give, plus, 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 and religion, which would include Christianity, doesn't. Really, it it doesn't. Uh, We learn looking at this chart and looking at other charts that 65% of all people give, uh, 67% of the people in America give charitably. 33% give absolutely nothing. 33%, a third of the country Now, we have to understand that 67%, right? I mean, you know, that's pretty good. Unbelievers, this, you know, generally, you wouldn't think they would give. The next pie chart is really interesting, too, though. Uh, What this pie chart indicates is kind of the, I don't know if you want to call it the uh, abysmal nature of giving. Uh, The articles that I read uh, said that uh, those who do give, on average, give a hefty 4%. Now, I was looking at that, going a hefty four percent. Seriously, is that all that people give? You know, but again, this is this is these are secular studies. You know, this is at the church. Uh, They're national averages, but the underlying data is fascinating too. As you continue to drill down deep, it gets into the fact that lower income people don't give to museums. They give zero. They don't give to other, they don't give to educational institutions, they don't give to foundation money for, you know, the great universities and things like that. And as a rule, uh, their average absolute dollar giving is far, you know, less than the absolute dollar giving of the higher income classes. But compared to the higher income classes, they give double digits. They give a higher proportion of the money that they earn and they give it to religion they give 10 15 20 percent and so their combined giving when you take the poorer classes the lower income classes and when you bundle their money they call that storehouse giving when you pull it all together like a mutual fund you know uh they give more than the people with significantly more resources I was talking to somebody years ago and they, they, they were a tax accountant here and they did work in the Bay Area and they were doing tax returns with some of these tax exe- executives and the 23 and 24 year old person making three or four hundred thousand dollars a year and, and their, their spouse making three or four hundred thousand dollars a year and you know how much they gave on average? In, in one case this couple their total giving was $700 and they gave it to the white rhino the white rhino I mean, this is the kind of the way we look at things. And yet, these poorer people gave much, much more than that in, in terms of absolute dollars on average and in terms of the percentage of their income. Which brings us to Mark 12. I want to read for you. This reminds me of something in Mark twelve forty one to 44. It's Jesus talking, and it says this. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury. He's at the temple, and he's watching the giving. And watch the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums compared to everybody else, right? And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called to his disciples and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, and she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. As you continue to study the charitable giving patterns in the United States, it's funny, pre-COVID, during COVID, and post-COVID, it's amazing how much money people spent on entertainment. Really didn't change a whole lot. No, No significant material change. And as you think about these things, realize this, that sometimes even Christians prioritize clothing, entertainment, and large ticket purchases like boats and cars above giving to the church. The church gets the leftovers. All of which brings us to today's text as we continue to discuss making an impact for the kingdom of God, your time, your talents, and your treasure. It brings us to a text in Malachi, This is written almost 3,000 years ago, and the principles that you find in this Old Testament text are just as applicable in the here and now as they were in the then and there. And just like the text that uh, James Noons read in uh, Haggai, people of Israel were were ignoring God. They were manifesting that complacency, that apathy, in the way that they were treating the, the temple and its ministries. And their actions, of course, reveal their hearts. Now, the weird thing about this is these people were newly returned from exile. They had been scattered for their disobedience and now they've been returned and now they're already losing steam. Malachi, just by way of introduction, is the last book of the Old Testament and after that, there are 450 years of silence from God until the Messiah comes on the scene. But... What are among the last words that God gives to his people? Malachi 3, 6 through 12 grants us insight into the heart of God and insight into the people of Israel and challenges us to look in at our own hearts and our attitude toward the way that we support the ministry of the local church. Malachi 3, 6 through 12 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed from the days of your fathers he's talking about the patriarchs a thousand years earlier you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them return to me and i will return to you says the lord of hosts but you say and now you have this conversation kind of a give and take by way of it's a it's a literary device between god and the people return to me and i'll return to you says the lord of hosts but you say how shall we return look at his next question will man rob god yet you are robbing me but you say how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Verse 10, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that... It will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Today we're going to talk about the 21st century version of tithes and offerings in the 21st century church. And I imagine there were Jews in Malachi's day who had not really been taught, who didn't understand their obligation to God. Or their appropriate response to his grace upon grace upon grace. Just as there are sure, surely some here today who have not been adequately taught. It's something that pastors and leaders often fail to do. And so today I'd like to challenge you and to encourage you in your giving. And I do so without shame. I'm not one of these pastors who's always asking for money. This isn't a church like that. But based on what we read here today... I think we can make five clarifying statements on giving so that we, each and every one of us, individually and collectively, can evaluate or reevaluate our actions and our attitudes toward God and his church and adjust accordingly. And this first statement I want to make to you here is this. Understand the basic principles of giving here in Malachi have not changed. Why? Because God hasn't changed. People make all kinds of distinctions between Old Testament giving and New Testament giving. And there are some nuances, but most of those distinctions are artificial and wrangling about words and terminology, or they are surface deep. God does not change, nor do his principles. Look at Malachi 3, 6 through 7. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So he's saying to them, look. I don't change, and therefore I haven't eradicated you for your unfaithfulness. I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For from the day of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. What you find here is both commandment and grace. There's this call to action, this call to repentance... Return to me, the word in there in the Hebrew is shub, which means a change of direction. It is the word often for repentance in there. And then you find his grace, therefore you are not consumed. Now, does this passage really deal with giving? What do the words say, what do the words mean, and how do we apply them? It does. You can't miss this. God has commanded them, of course, the people of Israel, to... Acc- complex sacrificial and giving system that was a shadow or a foreshadow of what is to come, he doesn't call us to the same sacrificial system, but he calls us to the same heart and dedication. God expects obedience from Israel. I've given you these statutes, you turn from them, and I haven't eradicated you because I promised the patriarchs, I promised Abraham that I will make you a great nation. God expects obedience and I won't review the entirety of the sacrificial system and the worship system and the Pentateuch, what some call the Torah, but what we have here is God calling them and by extension us to give up something and whatever we give up to him in giving and service and time, talents, treasure is nothing compared to what he gave up of course in his son. Now this word uh, tithe here means tenth. But don't but there's a people misunderstand. They look at the the giving system and say, well, you know, ten percent. It wasn't ten percent of your income. By the way, if we did everything that they did in the sacrificial system, in the giving system, we'd be giving something like thirty five percent. Okay, so we're not called to do that. The base giving was a tenth, but it was a tenth of your assets. I want you to think about that. It's like a wealth tax everybody you know, bristles at today. It, w- it included your income, but it included a tenth of everything that you owned. Can you imagine that? Be glad we are in the New Testament, right? The church age, right? Now, they were supporting a theocracy in those days, right? We're not today. But just as the church system is modeled after the synagogue system, so is the giving. And We need to understand that. In today's text, the Jewish people had lost sight of God, and they were almost always disobedient, much like people today, right? For, my de- from, for the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then he identifies their area, right? They need to repent in, and that's the tithes and offerings. But we know here from the time of the patriarchs, the, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's dozen, the 12, the 12 tribes, They were prone to wander. Israel is like us in many ways. But in their disobedience, God shows them grace. He says, return to me. And that speaks to a change of heart that leads to a change of mind and a change of conduct. It's repentance. In this case, keeping the statutes of God that he had ordained for Israel. We worship God with our lips and lives, with our time, our talents, and our treasure. And we'll see that in a moment. But what we need to understand looking at this text is this, is that God does not change. And he expects his people to worship him totally. in every aspect of their life, and the aspect we're dealing with today, is giving, which brings us to statement two. Statement two is this, realize, realize that what you have is not and never was yours. Everything you own, the shirt on your back, the money in your bank, the children that God has loaned you, is not and never was yours. It is on loan from God. It all belongs to God. Remember last week when we talked about the individual who said to me, my gifts and talents are my own and I'll use them whenever I feel like it. That's the antithesis of what we're seeing here in Malachi and indeed the whole Bible. What you have is not and never was yours. Look at verses 8 and 9. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation. You see this here. Sometimes we forget who we are, what we are, and who we belong to, and who has purchased us with so great a price, and, and why we're here. We're not here to achieve wealth and recognition. We're here to fulfill the Great Commission. God has raised each and every one of us up for such a time as this. We are where we are, and we have no call to be self-important. In generosity, I will give. No. In love, in obligation, in worship, I will give. We don't want to drift into haughtiness like Adam and Eve who thought God was holding them back. And we forget that the old offering rituals point out that we only give back to God a portion of what he gave to us you see this in the Bible is there a text that says that I I remember coming up as a young man and somebody would get up usually a deacon or an elder or a pastor and say and now as they get ready to pass the plate we give back to you father a portion of what you have given to us where do they get that from you ever thought about that where on earth does that come from it comes from first chronicles 29 29, 14 through 16, the dedication of the temple and a young Solomon, uncorrupted at this point, giving supernatural wisdom from God, dedicated to God, says this, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus ought to offer willingly? For all things come from you and are of your own and of your own we have given you We are strangers before you, sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all the abundance that we have provided for building a house in your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own.